Heads up, everyone, episode four is over 40 minutes long, and that's twice as long as our other episodes have been. But it's an important conversation. Welcome to the SLP Talk Show, real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hi, this is Carrie, and I'd like to welcome you to the fourth episode of SLP Talk Show. I'm joined here by my husband, Jim, so welcome back to the recording studio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. So today, I'm going to do a little info dump about autism. Uh, My nephew's wife is a nurse, and she actually just messaged me yesterday Mm -hmm. and said that she doesn't really know a lot about autism, and she explained that she didn't really learn a a lot about autism in nursing school. And so she just started listening to our podcast, and she said, I listened to the first three episodes, and I'm so excited to learn more about autism. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I thought so too. So we actually had a different topic planned for this episode, but Jim and I talked and I, I asked him, I said, I, I really think we should do just a, an episode or two just about what autism is. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so, great. yeah, yeah. I, we talked about this. So uh, this episode is for you, Katie, and anyone else who has a desire to better understand uh, autism. So uh, where should we start? How about uh, maybe just go through the, the history of autism? about that well yeah i think that 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 makes sense um so this is just gonna like i said kind of be an info dump i'm gonna give you a lot of information okay so there's something called the diagnostic and statistical manual it's called the dsm okay so Mm -hmm. i just thought i know this maybe isn't the most exciting but i found it very interesting the dsm the very first version of this came out in 1952 and so in 1952 there was no autism classification at all so it doesn't mean there weren't autistic people on the planet Right. Before 1952, it just means there was no such diagnosis. Okay. okay? So they mm-hmm. didn't have that that as a category, Makes as sense. a, as a mm-hmm. diagnosis. The DSM-2 came out in 1968. And autism was actually classified under schizophrenia. So if it's classified under schizophrenia, Jim, uh, can you guess where autistic people were ending up a lot of the time? Ooh, uh, institutionalized? Yeah, they were they were ending up in institutions. Yikes. What were they called back then? Probably asylums. Asylums. Yeah, or... yeah. So it was uh, considered a form of schizophrenia. Wow. The DSM-3 was released in 1980, and they actually had a term, and it was called infantile autism. It was listed as a separate diagnosis from schizophrenia. So we're making progress, right? It's no longer listed under schizophrenia. It's called infantile autism. So then comes the DSM-4, and it was released in 1994. Now, I just, for... Uh, everyone who who maybe is new or doesn't know a lot about my story, uh, I am a seasoned speech-language pathologist, which simply means I've been around a long time. (laughs) And I graduated from grad school in 1995. So this DSM-4 criteria came out the year before I graduated. So for most of my career, I have practiced using the DSM-4 criteria, okay? So with that DSM-4, they revised the diagnostic criteria, and there were actually five subtypes of autism, okay? Here they were, autistic disorder, Asperger's, 
PDDNOS, which stands for Pervasive Developmental Disorder Not Otherwise Specified. That is a mouthful. Uh, there was also Childhood Disintegrative Disorder and Rett's Disorder. So there were five different classifications or subtypes of autism. Now, our son Aaron was diagnosed, I don't know, Jim, when you say it was around 2000... 2007. 2007, somewhere there. He was about two and a half years old when he right. got diagnosed. So he was diagnosed using the DSM-4 criteria, and his diagnosis was autistic disorder. Okay, so that's that's where he fell. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a practicing SLP, uh, for years and years, I worked with a lot of kids who had the PDD-NOS diagnosis, which kind of meant, gee, they don't fit autistic disorder criteria but they have some characteristics and so they kind of just that was the catch-all right Right, so there were a lot of kids who um, had this pdd nos diagnosis well fast forward to 2013 and this is when the dsm-5 is now released and they got rid of the five autistic sub or subtypes of autism and now it is called autism spectrum disorder and so they redefined it as a single disorder So instead of having five subtypes, now we just have this spectrum, okay? So the technical term is autism spectrum disorder, often abbreviated as ASD. So under the DSM-5 diagnostic criteria, here's what has to be present in order for a diagnosis of autism to be given, okay? There's five criteria. One, uh, persistent deficits in social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts. That's one criteria. Number two, uh, they have to have restricted, repetitive patterns of behavior, interests, or activities. The third, symptoms must be present in the early developmental period. Uh, The fourth uh, criteria, symptoms must cause clinically significant impairment in social, occupational, or other areas of functioning. And the fifth characteristic, the disturbances are not better explained by intellectual disability or global developmental delay. Now, those five diagnostic criteria, they have a lot of language that we would consider ableist. I mean, when you start talking about words like deficits and symptoms and disturbances, those are not words that um, we tend to use uh, uh, right now as we are talking about autism, but those are the 2013 diagnostic criteria. So I just wanted you to kind of have a reference, especially Katie, since I'm doing this episode for you, you didn't get a lot of information in nursing school about autism. So those criteria have to be present to diagnose autism. So that's, there's a lot of technical jargon there. Um, (laughs) Can you just kind of lay it out and layman's terms yeah yeah it is it's a lot of and I know the mumbo jumbo maybe isn't you know the best thing to to give uh, via a podcast but I just thought it's important to get it out there so let's go ahead and yeah let's put it in layman's terms and so I just think this is a really good month to talk about um, autism because uh, April is autism awareness month um, as a parent of an autistic child I always kind of advocate for a change that we call it autism awareness and acceptance month but it is technically called autism uh, awareness month so what I'm gonna do um, uh, is divide this talk into two different episodes because we like to keep these episodes you know short and sweet so today what I'm gonna do is talk to you about autism acceptance and then in episode five we're gonna talk no 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 I lied we're gonna talk <laughs> today we're gonna talk about autism awareness and in episode five we're gonna talk about autism acceptance okay, okay? That sounds so, good. all right very good so I do want to give a disclaimer that I am going to be using um, 
identity first language instead of person first language. Uh, when I was in grad school, we were taught to use person first language. So child with autism, person right, with right, autism. Yeah. Uh, but there has been a recent shift. We've been listening to the autistic community, to actually autistic adults. And uh, many of them have explained that they really feel strongly about identity first language. Um, many autistic adults explained that autism is inseparable from who they are it is you know it it defines them and so they actually prefer identity first language so I just want to clarify that I will be using identity first language okay so what I have here Jim it's maybe not the luckiest number but I have 13 uh points that I'm Uh going to try to get through I know so we're going to call it lucky 13 is that cool yeah Lucky 13. Lucky 13. Here we go. Okay, so we're going to buzz through these guys. So the very first point that I want to make is that autism uh, is simply a label that helps us understand the varying neurological differences in how a child thinks, in how they learn, in how they process sensory input, in how they experience the world, and in how they relate to other people, okay? Um, Autism is a a diagnosis, absolutely, okay? Uh, And it is considered a disorder, but I really just want people to understand that this label of autism just helps us understand how to better help the child, be successful. Okay. So autism is, is that label. Uh, the second point that I want to make is that autism is not an illness. It is not a disease and it doesn't need to be cured. Okay. Now there was a time when Aaron was first diagnosed, Mm -hmm. uh, autism was considered a tragedy and they were absolutely looking for a cure. Right. 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 Everybody thought something must be causing this. We must be having an autism epidemic. You know, something's causing this. And um, so it's really important to understand that autism is a different yet valid way of being human. Okay. It's mm-hmm. not an illness. It's not a sickness. And so we're no longer looking for a cure. Okay, the third point that I want to make about autism is over the years, so I've been an SLP, let's see, now I think I'm at 26 years, and there have always been so many negative terms associated with autism. Uh, The CDC, in fact, you're going to love this, Jim, has a document called Early Warning Signs of Autism Spectrum Disorder. So you're a parent, right? As a parent, um, what do you think of when someone says warning signs? Sounds scary to me. I mean, that's that's scary. <laughs> it is scary. And so no wonder um, our families, uh, their child, you know, gets this diagnosis right. and parents panic. And right. if you get on the internet, I mean, there's some not so great things, you know, spoken about and said about autism. You just kind of go to worst case scenarios, you know, especially when you get on the Internet. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we really are trying to do is move away from all of these negative terms when we talk about autism. So instead of warning signs, here's another term that I frequently see. And I even hear providers in, um, you know, speech language pathologists and other providers say, your child has some red flags of autism. So red flags uh, is pretty similar to the term warning signs. When I hear the term red flags, to me it indicates, 
whew, there is something alarmingly wrong with yeah, your child. Very negative. Very negative, okay? And then the other term that you're going to see in a lot of research, right? So when I read uh, and review research articles is they'll talk about symptoms of autism. So here's the deal. The word symptom is a term that we use to describe medical concerns related to an illness or a disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and autism is not an illness or a disease. So symptoms, you try to cure someone of their symptoms. If you have high blood pressure, right, right we're going to give you medication because we don't want you to have high blood pressure. Right. So we look at medical intervention, if you will. And so um, a child doesn't have symptoms of autism. So if we're not going to use warning signs, if we're not going to use red flags, if we're not going to use the word symptoms, then what do we say? Well, we can say that a child has traits, signs, characteristics, or features of autism. Right, those are all terms that we can use, but they're not they're, they're not, not as negative. They're not weighted, right? They're yeah. not they don't have that negative connotation that um uh, those other terms do. All right, number 4. Autism is a spectrum. Remember I explained that it is one disorder, it is considered a spectrum. So autism is a spectrum of varying strengths, differences, and challenges. So no two people experience autism exactly the same way. In fact, there's this saying um if you've met one person, one autistic person or one person with autism is kind of how the saying goes. But if you've met one autistic person, you've met exactly one autistic person, right? It's not like you can say, oh, it's this, you know, group of people who all, you know, act the same way. Um, Sometimes you'll even hear people say something like, well, he doesn't, he doesn't look autistic. (laughs) Well, what exactly does autism look like, right? So I've heard that a lot. Yeah, yeah. So it is um, really important to understand that autism is a, a spectrum Okay, so some autistic people have high support needs, Mm -hmm. okay, and other autistic people have lower support needs. So when we talk about our son, Aaron, he's now 17, um, gosh, when he was younger, I mean, he didn't really start talking, what, five? I mean, age five, I'd say he's around five five before he really started talking and being able to communicate more effectively with us. So we had to do a lot of anticipating his needs for him, you know, when he was really young. Um, He, gosh, do you remember when we thought he's never going to learn to dress himself? He has apraxia throughout, motor planning struggles throughout his whole body. So, gosh, we had to help him get dressed till, I bet he was almost eight or nine, maybe even later than that. We were like, is he ever going to learn to dress himself? himself is he ever going to learn to shower himself Mm -hmm. and you know today so he had very high support needs when he was younger right and today at 17 gosh in so many areas of life he's really quite independent isn't he oh yeah i mean going to horseback and watching him there he's got the routine down he doesn't really need any help with with taking care of a horse which is amazing yeah 1300 pound animal He's got, you know, and he attacks the horse, he untacks the horse, um, he brushes him, he gets his hooves, you know, taken care of, and then gets him out of, you know, the, the bridle and, and puts a harness on him. And It's amazing. I mean, he, 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 he just kills it there. And I'm just like, a couple, couple of years ago when he first started there, he, he uh-uh. didn't have the, com- I think he has a lot of confidence now. Yeah, in that's that true. Too. So because it's, it's a familiar activity. But yeah, as far as support needs there, it's 
getting less and less. Every time he goes, he learns a little bit more. Right. You know, sometimes he struggles a little bit with the fine motor stuff. But, you know, that that's more of the right. uh, uh, physical thing with his, sure. you know, his finger strength and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so. yeah. So he doesn't have um, a ton of support needs there. No. Like here at home, he showers himself. He's pretty good with hygiene. Now, there are certain things he does have need more support. Like he can't clip his own fingernails. Right, right. And I'm not sure he'll, I mean, I always say this. I don't know if he'll ever, um, you know, I need to not, not say that so much because he has shown us, you right. know, that he yeah. continues he keeps, he, to grow. Yeah, he's he's on his own developmental path, you know? He, that's a so. great way to explain it, Jim. And, you know, one thing, I even put this in my new autism book, kind of in the, I don't know, like on the front uh, uh, intro, that forward is forward right. no matter the speed. Right. And I just think I that, that if you are a, a, a speech-language pathologist or, a, you know, a therapist or a teacher and you're supporting uh, uh, families of autistic children or honestly children, you know, with Down syndrome. I mean, any any child who is taking their own developmental sure. path, right. it's important to remind families that forward is forward no matter the speed. It right. doesn't matter when they get the skill, right? It doesn't matter when your child toilet trains. It just matters that they toilet train, right? right? Some kids do it in two years. Some kids need 12 years, right? right. Um, and so it's just really important that we, we stay positive, right? As we look at support needs. Um, now, there are some autistic children who are going to have high support needs their entire life, okay? And and then there are those who are going to have um, very minimal to no support needs as they become adults. They're going to live independently, right? They're going to they're gonna, uh, be independent in their job. They're maybe going to go to college. You know, that can happen. So that's why autism is considered a spectrum, okay? Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure everybody understands that aspect. Yep. All righty. Let's see. We are on number five. So here we go. Children don't get autism. A child is born autistic. Uh, Autism is a different neurotype. It's a different way of being human. An autistic individual is wired differently. So uh, Jim, you and I are not autistic, so we are considered neurotypical. Okay. That's kind of this this right. this term. We're neurotypical. Um, there are also neurodivergent people on the planet. So if you're neurodivergent, you diverge away from typical, right? So okay. neurodivergent. So autistic people are neurodivergent. Uh, people who have ADHD are neurodivergent. Okay. Uh, people with Tourette's are neurodivergent. So just understand that there are uh, um, a certain percentage of the population who are neurodivergent. Now, neurotypical has always been um, kind of considered historically the ideal neurotype, right? Oh, we want our children to be more typical, right? So um, in the next episode, when we talk about autism acceptance, we're going to really dig deep into that and really look at how our field of speech-language pathology is shifting, moving away from a deficit-driven model to a strengths-based model. Mm -hmm. So I promise we're going to get more into that. But today, since we're talking about autism awareness, I just want you to know that a child is born autistic. There's nothing, because I did, I don't know if you did or not, Jim, but I had a lot of guilt. I mean, as when he got that diagnosis, I thought, is it something I did? As the mother who, you know, I carried him in my womb and I thought, oh my gosh, was it because I drank Diet Coke? You know, is it because, is it something I did? So I had a lot of guilt and I will say, I still struggle, you know, a little bit with that. Is it something, should I have done something different? But the more I understand that autism is in the DNA, right? It's part of the genetic makeup. It's, um, you know, a a combination of both uh, bi biologic and um, 
genetic uh, makeup. You know, it's nothing that you don't cause autism. Does that right. make sense? Right. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, that's the that's the next one. So 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 number six, we don't know what causes someone to be autistic. Uh, this is exactly what I was looking for, but it is that that combination of both biologic and uh, genetic factors. So I think historically, back when Aaron was first diagnosed around 2007, the whole purpose of therapy back then was really to fix deficits. Right. right? It was to try to make the child not be act, autistic right. or not act right, right. autistic. Yeah. And so we wrote goals that the child would have typical play. You know, that the child would communicate and have social skills that were socially acceptable. Okay, that's really where we were at. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, some people are still kind of there. Um, uh, and we're trying to uh, move uh, away from that model of assuming that being autistic is is a problem. Um, mm-hmm. That it yeah. is. Now, the reason, you know, it is autism is certainly disabling for many people in many aspects because our world is not really set up for neurodivergent people to thrive. And since most of society is neurotypical, um, you know, I think there's this expectation that that's where we're, what we, what we're aiming for. But um, it's really important to understand that you can't help a child outgrow their autism. You can't provide enough therapy to get rid of the autism. Autism right. doesn't go away. If you have an autistic child and after a period of time, they no longer have a, a lot of those autistic traits, um, you could say, oh, but see, therapy, you know, all of our intervention, it, it worked, right? We got rid of, of so many of those autistic traits. Um, because autism is pervasive, that means it um, affects every area of development and pervasive means it lasts across the lifespan. So right. autism is a pervasive neuro neurological um, uh, uh, condition or disorder, okay? So um, you can't outgrow autism with enough therapy. If a child presents as though they don't have those traits anymore, they are likely doing something called masking. And that's where the person learns to camouflage their traits uh, in an effort to look and appear more neurotypical. And so um, we have autistic adults explaining to us that it is very hard on their mental health when they feel like they have to mask all day long and be someone who they're not. Yeah. So you can yeah, imagine. Yeah. I mean, um, so all righty. Uh, number seven, anyone can be autistic regardless of race, gender, age, or socioeconomic status. So it's really important to understand that autism does not only occur in boys and it does not only occur in white boys. Now, according to the CDC, boys are four times more likely to be diagnosed with autism than girls, okay? But here's why. It's because the diagnostic criteria are actually based on research that has implicit bias. So most of the research has been done on white males. So guess what? Females often present differently. They have they actually don't have the same uh, traits as as autistic males do. So because all of the the tests that are used to determine if a child you know fits the autistic autism criteria or not, because all of that research was done on white males, guess who doesn't fit the bill? Girls. Mm-hmm. Autistic girls um, are not um, often getting diagnosed. Okay, right. so what that right. means is those autistic girls and their families aren't receiving the supports 
through early intervention services, uh, and that is um, a, a real a real issue. What men what is happening um, is that many autistic females are not getting diagnosed until adulthood, and many of them are are telling us that they were misdiagnosed as having anxiety disorder, um, having you know maybe maybe they got ADHD diagnosis. But then as adults, they're getting added to that, the autism diagnosis. So many um, uh, female autistic adults are telling us that they go through life, they went through life wondering what's wrong with me. And so when they finally do get that autism diagnosis in adulthood, they feel like finally, you know, finally I know who I am. Right. So um, the other thing uh, to understand, and this is number eight, uh, is that black, Hispanic, and Native American children are less likely than their white peers to be diagnosed with autism. Um, so they're often going undiagnosed altogether. Um, and uh, so uh, uh, females uh, are getting misdiagnosed oftentimes and uh, black, Hispanic, Native American children are often going undiagnosed. So that means they have like no access, right, to right. any type no of services. services. None not whatsoever. Diagnosed. You're not getting services. So what we really need is for, you know, the researchers um, to step up and to start doing really yeah. um, culturally responsive and culturally right. sensitive um, uh for everybody. Yeah, research so that we start getting some uh, diagnostic criteria that apply to more than just white males. So yeah, there's work to be done, people. There is work to be done. All right, let's move on. Number nine, sensory differences are common in autistic people. What I need you to understand, though, is that not all people with sensory differences are autistic. Right. Okay, so let me give you an example. And Jim, you know this very well about me because Mm -hmm. you're my husband. And (laughs) (laughs) um, I think my, my sensory... Um, can I guess? Can you? Okay, what do you think it is? What do I? What do I not tolerate? Noise. I do not Loud, tolerate loudness. noise. Yeah, loudness, loudness is in it general. Loudness or noise? I, 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 or noise. I, I don't. It's, it's, it's. I can handle certain noises until they get to a certain loudness level. Do you know what I mean? And right. then I struggle. So, like when we're watching a movie, if we're watching Netflix, watching the news, I don't care what we're watching. I have to be in control of the remote. Right. <laughs> and Jim does not love that. But No, I don't. But I'm a man. Yes, he's a man. I like my remote. He's a man. He's a manly man. Um, <laughs> he likes his remotes. Um, but I have to have... Now, granted, we have like four remotes. To even turn a television on in this house, okay. I had to have... All right, all right, all right. Yeah. I had to have a cheat sheet with all the steps to be able to find my show. Okay. I, I finally figured out how to turn our TVs on. So I just need the remote for volume. Okay. Yeah. Right, Jim? You get the yeah, other remote. You don't have to roast me on all the oh, remotes. Well, you know, there are, you have to admit, there are a lot of remotes. Okay, yes, there are. There are, thank you. Okay, okay, you heard it. I agree. Yes. I agree, I agree, yes. It's a magical day. It's part of my power. (laughs) It's my superpower. (laughs) Okay, so I have to be in control of volume because when a show, like if there's a shoot 'em up, you know, uh, uh, scene where it's really loud. Mm-hmm. I do in the middle of a scene. I have to turn the volume down, right? And then or they'll commercials. You... Well, commercials. I can't. I just yeah. mute those idiots. Like I have no <laughs> tolerance for commercials whatsoever. So if you're watching a show with us, you just just know I also have to have the subtitles on. Jim's finally gotten used to that. Um, I actually like it because, especially um, like if if they're not not foreign, but like across the pond. English. Oh yeah, where it's harder to. I, I have. I know that we're speaking the same language, but I don't understand half what they say. Yeah. So. so, but I really need those subtitles. I don't process auditory information very well, right. and I'm very auditorily over responsive. So noise is not my thing. Which people think I'm joking, but. Jim, you know, what have I never been to that everyone on the planet has been to? A rock concert? I have never or been to a concert. concert. 
I, I've never been to a concert. I mean, I just, I don't do noise, so I've never been to a concert. I really don't have any interest in going to one. I would need to have some noise-reducing headphones if I were going to uh, attend such an event. So, um, anyways, I got off track there. But, so, uh, um, sensory differences are very common in autistic people, and uh, their sensory differences oftentimes, especially when they're very young, before we can identify some accommodations and modifications, those sensory differences often interfere with learning and development because kids with sensory differences often shut down in a traditional, you know, learning situation. So in a classroom setting or on the bus or, you know, in a speech therapy session. So um, one thing, you know, Aaron, our son, who again is 17, um, he has a lot of sensory differences. I feel like as his nervous system matures, mm-hmm. don't you feel like his sensory differences are less yeah. impacting his day-to-day life? Yeah, I, I feel like he's learned to cope with a lot of those. He has. He has one thing that he does. He has a pair of green noise-reducing headphones, and he's had them for many years now. Mm-hmm. And he used to need them quite a lot. Um, and now he just carries them in his backpack most days to school. Yeah, takes and, him to school. Yeah, and he will tell me like, um, oh, we had a fire drill, so I put on, you know, my right. my earphones. I put on my headphones. That's what he was most concerned about. Yeah, he does not like sudden, um, loud noises. But even like um, in church, if there is a live band. Right. We either have to yeah, sit, have to sit outside the of the the, the sanctuary, mm-hmm. um, or if he would have his his headphones, he would actually put them on. Right. Can you think of another uh, one of Aaron's sensory differences that has I, kind of been yeah, around? I can think of a couple actually. One one is uh, the sun. He's kind of got an aversion to the sun. He always has. And the other one, when he was little, he's very defensive with his hands, and he oh, did not like yes. grass. Uh-uh. On his feet or his hands. Mm-mm. I mean, he. I remember one time he actually like flipped over like a turtle. It wouldn't wouldn't touch the grass with his hands yeah. or anything. Any we had to pick him up. Right. Yeah. I had to go pick him up. Yeah. But, yeah. But tell us more about the sun because this has been an issue since he was a toddler. Oh, yeah. I, I just think he doesn't like the feel of the sun on his skin. So it doesn't matter if it's in the car or mm-hmm. outside or if we went to a softball tournament. He finds he, the one little spot of shade, doesn't right. he? Right. He was, had to be in the shade. Yeah, yeah. He's a little vampire. He's a little vampire. Doesn't like the sun. <laughs> Burst um, into flames. Yeah, he. That's why he would always play outside on days when it was overcast. Like right. we could get him to play outside, but if it's hot and sunny, he's like, no, I'll wait for the sun to go down. Like he just. We tried sunglasses. We tried giving him a ball cap. He was really defensive about all those things. He didn't want them. Now we have a pool, and he does wear a ball cap in the pool. You yeah. know, so being and, in the pool and, is the only. But he still has to wear a swim shirt. A he swim shirt. He like will not. Touching so his he body. Won't go bare chested. No, so. he will not. He will not. So those are are a couple. I think Jim and I could do a whole episode on Aaron's <laughs> sensory differences, yeah. but it's just important to understand that um, autistic people have sensory differences. Right. They process their nervous system. They're wired differently, so they process sensory input differently than you and I do. Right. It's not that they're being difficult. Okay, they no. just process that input differently. Okay, number ten. Autistic people think and learn differently and tend to have strong interests in very specific things. So historically, people have referred to these as obsessions or fixations. And Jim, do you think those are positive words? Obsessions, fixations? 
Uh, no. No, those are negative terms. So when you start talking about, well, your child is obsessed with letters and numbers. Your child is obsessed with animals. Your child, right? When you start hearing that, or if it's documented in a report, child is obsessed with letters and numbers. Child is obsessed with lining things up, right? So as a parent, you read that and you're like, oh. So all of a sudden we get this negative talk again. So rather than calling them obsessions, um, my term that I use I've always said Aaron has very deep interests so they're not wide they're deep see most kids have wide interests meaning they like trains and they like cars and they like um you know uh, uh, swinging and sliding and they have a whole bunch they have wide interests right they have a whole bunch of them Mm -hmm. Aaron's are deep meaning he has very few of them but they are deep interests so one of Aaron's I'll let Jim talk about one of them but one of Aaron's deep interests currently and it has been for five plus years now is wild animals and Aaron knows more about most animals. Right. Um, he knows about animals I didn't even know existed on the planet. Yep. It's pretty yep. fascinating. So if you follow me on social media, um, I do a post called, um, well, it's Aaron's Animal Facts or right. you know something like that. And so every now and then he'll just come up to me and say, Mom, I need to teach your people. So that's what he calls you guys, <laughs> my people. I need to teach your people about um, skunks or I need to teach your people about peregrine falcons i mean he's very specific you know we never would just do birds i mean it would always be something very specific and then he tells me all the facts and i write them all down and then i get on canva and i create a post about it and i've learned a lot haven't you jim we've learned a lot about animals over the years so um animals are one of his very deep interests jim can you tell everybody what his other deep interest is right now well he's he's loved hot wheels for a while um I'm going to say five, six, seven yeah, years, something yeah. like that. And he has all these, um, you know, sets of Hot Wheels. But then he got, uh, he went to the uh, antique store with his grandma and he... Grandma Mary. Yeah, he got a car and it was the number 18 um, Interstate Batteries car, which was Kyle Bush's, um, one of his sponsors. And so he, um, so I told him, he asked me about it and I, I told him it was a NASCAR, uh, car and he was like, Ooh, what's that? So then we, I, I said, well, we can watch a race and the rest is history. He's now, he's a huge NASCAR huge, fan. Huge, huge NASCAR we fan. we actually were fortunate enough to live in a city that has a NASCAR track in Kansas City, Kansas. And, uh, we went to a race. Last, Last year. year. Yeah, his first one. And he, and he, he loved he it. He loved it. He loved it. But then it was getting too hot. The sun. And the yep. sun was. Mm-hmm. And so we we had to leave a little bit early. But it was okay. He had a he had a blast. And he But really, what do we do he, every he Sunday? It. What do we do every Sunday in every, this house? Every Sunday we watch NASCAR. He knows the, he knows what the race name is coming of the track. Up, what city it's in. Yep. Um, how many laps um, we have to work out together. Because, you know, it's 500 miles, but different track sizes. So That's where but, functional math comes in, right? Yeah, so this yeah. is where we feel like Aaron is using... Uh, you know, academic skills, you know, doing some math computations, but also pairing that with his deep interest. And it's amazing. And that's one of the things that I push for is for goals to be functional, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, that's something we've worked on a lot with him. But I'm telling you, we've all become NASCAR fans now because we've had to, because we spend our Sunday afternoons watching hours right, of right. NASCAR. Yeah, NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. So Aaron's favorite car is number nine, Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott. And when I ask him why Chase Elliott is his favorite driver, he says because he drives the number nine car. So I, I don't I don't understand the reasoning, but he must like the number nine. I don't know, but that's why. I can't remember. I think it, it's three and three oh, times three. That's what he said because three times three is nine. Yeah. So his, his explanation for why he likes things, um, you know, we just go with it. So okay, yeah. So animals and. 
NASCAR. That's where we're at, race cars. All right, you guys, let's finish this up. Number 11, autistic people process and use language differently, all right, than neurotypical uh, people do. Autistic children often start talking later than their neurotypical peers. It is also important to understand that about one quarter, 25% or so, up to maybe 30% of autistic individuals never develop complex speech, okay? So that is just an important uh, uh, fact to know. Uh, and so that is why, as a speech-language pathologist, I am very vocal about how important it is to start augmentative and alternative communication. The acronym is AAC. Mm -hmm. But we need to start that robust um, AAC very young I'm talking um, you know when they're toddlers we start introducing another way to communicate um, uh, so very important that that is uh, started early in life all right number 12 autistic people move their bodies differently and may struggle with gross and fine motor skills and Jim we have seen that haven't we oh oh yeah I, uh, across the board with Aaron yep he, he's different when yeah it comes to that he, stuff. he can't ride he a bike different. so what we got him a few years ago is maybe three or four years ago we bought him an adult size trike mm -hmm. and he he rides, he loves it. He loves it so much. And so we actually bought one for his school and left it there at the school. And um, other kids, other autistic kids were able to ride. So right. it was really neat to see that happen. But um, yeah, um, his fine motor skills aren't great. Uh, he has always struggled using both sides of his body together. So right. like, I'm not sure he has the ability to hold a fork in one hand, a knife in another, and actually like cut some. Does that make sense? Like he just doesn't do well when he has to use both sides of his body together. Um, he can certainly do things like cut a piece of paper. He couldn't do that in the past, but you know, he can hold a piece of paper and snip that. So, yep. I mean, he's, he, there are some things he can do, but that's, you know, anyways, we could talk a lot about gross and fine motor skill development, but just know that it is different in autistic individuals. And then finally, number 13, autistic people people want to socialize and interact with others but their sensory differences often make it difficult okay so I think there's a myth out there that autistic people prefer to be alone that they don't have good social skills or not interested in interacting with other people that is absolutely a myth um, Aaron is actually extremely social um, when he is well regulated you know when it's on his terms I mean if you like tried to force him to sit down and have you know started peppering him with questions about something he would probably shut down but he often wanders your brother was here you know uncle bill was here this week mm -hmm. and aaron will come down to the family room and just sit and he'll just ask so how's everybody in iowa uncle bill you know he'll just randomly like start these conversations so yeah. but then after he's down here and he's hanging out with us for a while he does go back to what we call his safe place which is his right. room he right. loves his bedroom and he always shuts the door and that's where he kind of decompresses because you know there's yeah. a lot of demands. But he's you know? very he's very caring. You know? He is very kind, very empathetic. Um, he's a very, very kind soul. Um, one thing that Aaron said a few years ago, and it sticks with me, is um, I think it was when we left church one day and we got to the car and he seemed a little frazzled and he said, Mom, Dad, Pastor said too many words today. <laughs> and so I always think about that, that as a speech-language pathologist, sometimes we need to reduce the number of words we say, need to reduce our language, and be okay with being present without using so much spoken language. And I think that's a neurotypical thing, right? We right. love small talk. We love chit chat. We just talk about random stuff. And what I'm finding is um, that uh, a lot of autistic people 
um, don't really do small talk. I mean, they'll right. talk if they have something to say. and um, But other than that, they may not just sit and carry on what we would call small talk. Sure. So with our son, you know, we have two neurotypical daughters who do small talk. And then with Aaron, don't you find that it's just conversation is pretty matter of fact? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and so that's why I just want you all to understand that autistic people communicate differently, right? Mm-hmm. It's not wrong. It's different. And that is is the main point. So the most important thing that we can do is listen to autistic individuals because they are the true experts on autism. So um, make sure you uh, check back with us for the next episode because we're going to actually dig a little, little deeper and talk about autism acceptance. I hope after today you feel like you understand what autism is uh, a little bit more. Um, one thing I'm going to ask Jim to do is to link in the episode notes. Um, I have a set of handouts. They're called Understand autism handouts and I don't know there's maybe 20 close to 20 handouts in there but if you're saying oh my gosh I was driving I couldn't write all this down or you just want it in a format um, that you can use uh, you know to share this information with others you can go to that episode link and it's called understanding autism and it is a set of handouts so I want to thank you for listening to another episode of SLP talk show if you're enjoying the podcast please follow like or subscribe to the show and please leave five stars to let us know that we're on the right track so as you head back to the real real world remember joy is a choice that you make every day when you wake up throw kindness around like confetti and please please get your boobies checked every year it could just save your life it saved mine until we meet again cheers